In our home, I am the baker. My wife and I can make the same bread recipe, do exactly the same thing. We even use a bread machine. When it comes out, mine's all nicely shaped, puffed up. Hers will be lopsided, kind of wrapped around. We do the exact same thing. Makes my wife very jealous because her bread just doesn't turn out right. As we talk about bread today and yeast, let's set up our scene here. Israel has been in slavery in Egypt for years. And the cries and prayers of the people had been heard. A man who had been trained as a leader in Egypt who was now getting additional training in the desert leading sheep was called by God. Moses soon issued the command to Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh was as hard-headed as most leaders are and did not listen. The next few days, weeks, could not have been worse for the home team. It took ten plagues on Egypt for Pharaoh to release God's people. It's a good thing we're not as attached to our sacred cows as Pharaoh. Who knows? Maybe it only take nine for me. Our scripture from Exodus 12 brings us up to the night of the worst plague. This particular event is so entrenched in Jewish culture and society, and it is still celebrated everywhere by Jewish God-fearing families. This meal, the Passover meal, celebrates the love of their God who freed their ancestors from slavery. The hand of death passed over each house that was prepared with the sacrificial lamb and the blood on the doorframes. This event that we as Christians see as pointing forward to when the Savior came. The Passover is actually only the first day of a week-long festival called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. I want to dig deeper into this today and find out what I believe is its meaning for our world today. An emergency medical technician was working in an emergency room when a father brought in his son. The boy had been playing with one of his small trucks, had pulled off a wheel, and had pushed the wheel up the nose. The father was embarrassed, but the EMT assured him, I've seen this before, don't worry. He got out the instruments needed and quickly removed the tire. They left better spirits. Not too long after that, the father came back. And in a few minutes, he went to the EMT again and he said, I need to talk to you in private. Oh, okay, what, what about? Well, I was driving home and I was wondering, how is it my son can get the tire up his nose? The EMT said, say no more. He got out the tools and quickly removed the tire from the father's nose. The moral of this story, there are certain things that don't belong in a person's nose. They might fit. They might even not cause much pain. They just don't belong. But I think it goes farther. It also says there are certain things that don't belong in our bodies. 
There are certain things that don't belong in our minds. And there are certain things that don't belong in our homes. The message and the symbolism in the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread applies to the statements just read. The Passover symbolizes the freedom God wants to give his people. But the Passover was followed by six more days that focused on the fact that God's kind of freedom required his people to remove things from their lives and homes. During the Feast of Unleavened Bread, God's people were instructed not only to not eat leavened bread during that week, but they were not allowed to have any yeast anywhere in their homes in anything. Anyone who ate anything that was contaminated with yeast would be shunned and ostracized from their people at that time. This yeast, this symbol that God uses, to show us the effects of sin. When Israel offered bread to God, along with burnt offerings, the bread was to have no yeast. Yeast is used as an example even by Jesus when he warned the disciples of becoming like the Pharisees. He told them, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and hypocrisy. In Luke 12, 1. So as you can see, yeast is used many different times and ways to show sin in our lives. But why is yeast used as this symbol? What is it that makes this food product such a great object lesson? I have here an example of yeast bread. Whole wheat yeast bread, you can see it has little holes where the yeast has worked its magic and caused the bread to be much lighter and tastier. I have here matzah bread. It's the Jewish Passover bread. It has no yeast. It's very flat. Because of that, the ingredients are basically the same. The only difference is one has yeast, the other does not. The object lesson is seeing just how a little something can be added or included that affects the whole environment or product. The bread with yeast tastes very good. The aroma after it's fresh baked, there's nothing like walking into a house that's just got fresh baked bread. The soft feel, the hearty taste, maybe your mouths are watering even now just looking at what I'm holding here. If I preach too long, you'll probably storm the stage to get at the food. On the other hand, matzah bread, well, it's just not as tasty. Must be good for you. I don't know. Likewise, sin tastes good. If it didn't taste good, nobody would sin. It doesn't take much yeast to change the shape of the flour. It warps the shape of the dough. Similarly, when sin enters your life, doesn't take much to change who you are. Doesn't take much to warp your character. Yeast also makes the bread look like it contains more than it really does. The larger loaf may not contain that much more flour than the matzah bread. But because of the yeast, it looks like it's more. There's a story of a man who he and his son worked in a donut shop. 
And his father came in one day and he says, those donuts, they're too large. You're using too much dough. And the son said, no, look, I used the scale just like you told me to use the scale. They're exactly the same. I just let them raise longer. Thus, the donuts appear to be larger, but they really don't have anything inside of them. Likewise, sin can make us believe we have more in our lives than we do. Sins like bitterness and hatred can make us feel that we have power over others. Sins like hypocrisy and bigotry can make us feel more important than we actually are. Sinning by viewing adult materials can make us believe we are mature and grown up. The sin of drugs can fool us into thinking we've gained control over our lives. Sin can make us believe that we've gained more of something in our lives. But in reality, all we've gained is decay and rot. Because with yeast bread, it rots from the inside out. If you leave this out for a while, you already know what will happen. Cracker, on the other hand, without the yeast, pretty much has indefinite shelf life. In the same way, sin has power to cause our lives and our homes to decay and rot. That's why God hates sin, because it destroys us. It keeps us away from him. There is nothing God wants more than to be with us. We are asking ourselves, how can we create a home where families will be safe from the destructive influences in the world? How can we keep out the world's influence in our homes, churches, and schools? We keep it out the same way we deal with intruders. We close the door and lock it. We, as parents, are the gatekeepers of the house. You and I are the ones with the keys, and God relies on us to make sure the destructiveness of the world does not get in the front door, the back door, or the window. Now, I shouldn't have to go through a laundry list of types of things that shouldn't be in our home, but it always is nice to repeat them. We all know there are certain TV shows, movies, books, magazines, etc., that teach lessons and morality. We don't want our families to learn. We all know that children shouldn't be associated with certain types of friends. And we should not allow them in our house. We all know that if our children get a hold of alcohol or drugs, it could destroy them. So why do we want it in our homes? We all know the damage of gambling and how that can affect. So why would we have it in our homes? We've got to make up our minds that anything that would hurt our family shouldn't be let in the front door, the back door, or any window. Now there's a pattern that can undermine every effort that's part of this. That pattern is shown well in an example of recently they've been running on TV special ads that... Tell parents, we're concerned about what your children are watching. They're concerned because the government told them they had to say it. But we're concerned about what your children are watching. So we're putting ratings on there. You have the Y, the PG, etc. And it shows a family. And under, above the children's head, there's a Y. And an older child, there's PG. 
And then when the children have left the room, above the adults, there's an MA. It's their way of saying, we put on mature programs for your benefit. You're grown up. You can handle it. What they're saying is, it's okay to watch when the kids leave the room. They're trying to convince you that it won't influence your children. Now, children are strange creatures. It seems like they don't listen to us. But children have never failed to imitate they're adults. By giving the impression that certain kinds of TV be, uh, programs or activities, beverages, drugs, behavior, whatever, if we give the impression that only grown-ups should do these things, we teach our children the lie that is, this is what mature people do. And those children will desire maturity, and they will pursue maturity as early as they can in their lives. Because they all desire to be grown-ups. The moment we buy into the heresy of this dichotomy, that our morality is somehow different than the morality we expect from our children, the lock on the door is broken. That's why God didn't teach his children and his people to remove leaven only from their lives. He taught them to get these things completely out of their house. Essentially, that means if it's bad for your kids, it's bad for you. All it takes is a simple opening of the door for sin to enter your home, and it will affect the lives of everyone you love. That's what God is teaching here. There is something else that God is teaching us here also. There is something intriguing about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It was done once a year. Up until and preparing for that once a year, they removed the leaven from their houses and they would work on this for at least a week before the Passover, making sure that every nook, cranny was brushed. There was no crumb of bread that would have yeast anywhere in the house. Practically everyone does something called spring cleaning once a year. We have laid around collections that clutter up in the attic, the basement, the garage, and so on. So once in a while we realize we have to clean house and get rid of the clutter and trash. It's not that we plan to have all that clutter in our homes. We just realize that it's there. It's the same way with worldly influences. In spite of our best efforts, some of the world's thinking and morality can slip into our homes either by influences our children encounter or by things our spouses and we ourselves bring into our homes. In Jewish society, to prepare for the Passover, the family spent a whole week scouring every corner for yeast. They do it because God commanded, for seven days no yeast is to be found in your houses. In other words, they just weren't getting rid of the yeast that happened to be laying on the floor. They were looking actively for it in every nook, in every cranny, everywhere. That is what we need to do in our homes. Once in a while, we need to look at our homes and ask ourselves, would that magazine subscription please God? Do these books hinder my walk with God? Do these programs undermine my family's faith? 
Problems in our homes can often come from thinking. Just a little trash won't hurt. There's a story of a girl who watched her mother prepare salad for the evening meal. Casually, she asked if she could get permission to go to a local amusement center. It kind of had a bad reputation. When her mom said no, the usual response of a teenager was given, but all the other girls will be there. It will be odd if I'm not. Mom was silent for a few moments. Then she began to reach into the sink and pull out some vegetables and scrapings and put them back in the salad. The daughter said, what are you doing? The mother said, well, I just thought if you put a little garbage in your heart and mind, you won't mind a little garbage in your salad either. What I want you to remember from this sermon is that there are certain false concepts that can undermine your efforts to protect your family and the influences of the world. We've gone over two of them so far. The first one is that as an adult, you can have a different morality than your children. And second is the belief that a little bit of sin won't make any difference. But there is one more, and that is simply removing sinful influences from your home will protect the family. This springs from the concept that freedom comes from removing sin from our lives. Actually, the scripture teaches that freedom comes from God. And we remove sin from our lives because God has shown us mercy. The Feast of Unleavened Bread focuses on removing the symbol of sinfulness from the home. But notice that feast and that celebration of removing sinfulness comes after the Passover, not before. In other words, it wasn't that the removal of sin from the home made them free or ready for the Passover. They had been made free by the Passover, so therefore their homes, this removing the sin from the home, is based on their freedom given them from God. They removed the sin because God had freed them. Now, that isn't just simply an Old Testament idea. In Romans 6, we can read more about this. In the previous chapter of Romans, Paul was explaining that God so loved us so much, it pleased him to forgive our sins. So in the opening verse of Romans 6, let me paraphrase that, paraphrase that just a little bit. If it pleases God so much to forgive our sins, why don't we really make him happy and sin a lot? Here's what he said. What, sin, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us were baptized in the Lord Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we certainly also will be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. 
Romans 6 tells us that our freedom came from belonging to Jesus. And because we are now new creatures in him, we should no longer engage in sinful activities of our past life. Too often people will say we don't want to become Christians until they clean out their lives. They fail to realize that it isn't in removing the yeast of their past sins that will make them acceptable to God. We can only be free when we accept Jesus on his terms. We can only be free with the faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. The repentance of past sins, confession of Jesus as Lord, baptism into Christ, and living the new life. Then and only then will spring, spring, spring cleaning and gatekeeping be effective and beneficial.